With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Bases Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. One and all, welcome into the Zuni Tequila Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. It is Greg Peterson coming at you once again, and we've got a great show for you. As we are going to have joining me in the second segment, Julian Edlow of DraftKings. We're going to be looking at today's card. We're going to be identifying some trends, looking at some of the pitchers that were traded over the weekend and how that affects their stocks. That'll be fun. In the final segment, I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. First things first, last couple days I haven't gotten a whole lot of Twitter questions and I think you guys took note because today it is jam-packed and I'm going to be giving you guys some answers. So you have questions and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. This first one comes in from Behawks0035, that is both his name and the Twitter handle he goes off of, SGNRSCORD1. First off, thank you for your insight and your knowledge in MLB betting. And to that, I say you're welcome. I listened to your podcast about why you kept betting the Pirates this weekend, but my question is, knowing the Cubs are so dominant at home, does something like that ever override your betting angle on a single game? Meaning, no matter what the numbers say for a single game, do you ever dismiss those stats and say, I won't be betting this team at home or during this streak, etc.? And it all depends on the situation. I've always said this on the podcast. Every game is its own living, breathing entity. There are some streaks I take into account a little bit more than others. There are some home field advantages I take into account more than others. And then, it is all about the price as well. I was 
burnt this weekend over the Pittsburgh Pirates, to say the least. This is a team that has really been laying me down. But whenever you see value on a team, you've always got to be firing in on it. And with the Cubs, they weren't necessarily having their aces out there. Jose Quintana has been a guy that has been going six innings and giving up three runs every single time. I thought that Trevor Williams was going to be able to turn around and have the second half that he had last year, and I thought that would start on Sunday. Clearly, that did not. And it's just looking at every game in general. Typically, I do look at the stats. Sometimes, I do go with some gut decisions, like when I've been betting on the Angels recently. I'm going off of that because they have been playing with so much emotion. They look like a different team ever since a Tyler Skaggs incident. So, it's one of those things where there's never a time where I say, I will not bet on this team no matter what, or I must bet on this team, but there are some things I take into account more than others, and it's all about the situation. AM4444 at Anthony M underscore 4444 S at Gene Square D1. Curious how you generally cap a game where the team the night before played an extremely long extra inning game where you see the value at, he was mentioning the Dodgers versus Phillies and Red Sox versus Blue Jays game from Monday. And he was asking how I handicap this knowing the bullpen might be depleted. And there's a couple things that do go into it. You do take into account teams that had played extra long the night before. Like, let's take, for example, the Cincinnati Reds versus Colorado Rockies from Saturday going into Sunday. I thought there was great value value on the under because you were going to have some sleepy bets. The game wrapped up after 1 a.m. mountain time and that they were going to be playing again in 12 hours, so there's not going to be a lot of sleep and everything like that, and obviously that did not come through. When there are other games where, like with the Boston Red Sox, they were at home for that game against the Dodgers and they stayed at home, that certainly gives the Red Sox a little bit more value than the Dodgers who had to hit the road, but it's not like the Dodgers had a massive road trip going from Boston to Philadelphia. Different than if they had to go from Boston to, say, San Diego. That would be something I would put in there a little bit more and these teams didn't completely burn their bullpen. You always want to take into account what team, what players are and are not going to be in the bullpen. That is a big thing that I do take away from these extra inning games and it all jumbles up into what I spit out with regards to my numbers because the rest factor is a little bit of something the travel has to do with it just the emotion of the game in general as well because sometimes you will have a letdown spot but I wound up taking the Dodgers on the run line on Monday I wound up siding with the Toronto Blue Jays thinking that maybe they had built up some goodwill from the solid pitching that they had against the New York Yankees clearly one came through and one did not so it's one of those things where I take a lot of factors into place and obviously you do have to take a look at the bullpen quite a bit when these teams are going through it in these extra inning games and it does just in general take a lot out of a team and then this one should be a short and sweet answer David Vascosalos I hope I'm saying that last name correctly I am so sorry if I screwed that up he is on Twitter at DJ VASCO67 as at GNR score one what do reverse run lines do and a reverse run line is essentially something that's put out here in Vegas by the Westgate and William Hill it is what it sounds like like whenever you have a run line the team that is a favorite you're instead laying a run and a half to get a little bit of a bigger price the team that's an underdog you get a run and a half and you have to lay a lot more juice instead it is the underdog that is laying a run and a half and you get a 
massive plus price. And instead, it is a team that is favored, that is getting a run in half, and you're just laying a whole bunch of juice that they're not going to lose by two plus runs. So it is exactly what it sounds like. And I had a lot of people asking me why I was taking the Giants on the reverse run line in game one. Well, you guys saw why. I have to brag about that one because I've had so many bad calls. It's not even funny. So I'm going to gloat whenever I get my chance to. So a big thanks to all you guys that asked questions today. Always happy to answer them. At GNRSCore D1 is where you can ask those at. Now let's take a look back at yesterday's results and let's try to become better handicappers from it. What trend should you pay attention to? Well, Greg is going to tell you what he has on the black. How about if we start with that doubleheader between the Giants and the Rockies as the first game was just a pistol whipping. How about the Giants putting on the board 19 runs against the Colorado Rockies winning 19-2? After that doubleheader, the Giants have now scored six or more runs in nine out of their last 14 games, and they have now won 10 out of their last 12 as they took game two as well. But looking at game one, Herman Marquez... He's got to be going on your fade list at this point. For one, the Rockies left him out there too long. He wound up going two and two-thirds innings. He gives up 11 runs, all of which were earned. You had Mark Reynolds actually give up two runs in an inning position play right there. And Jesus Tinoco wound up picking up the slack from there. Things didn't go a whole lot better for him. He went two and two-thirds innings. He gave up five runs, four of which were earned. Yancy Almonte wound up going two and two-thirds innings. He only gave up one run, so that was good. And for the Colorado Rockies... They did get a home run out of Ryan McMahon, his eighth, and Remy Tapia his seventh. That's all the good that could be said, but there can be a lot of good set for Jeff Samarja. He gave up those two solo home runs, but in six and two-thirds innings, he gives up two runs, all of which were earned. Bullpen goes two in the third innings, not giving up a run. Jeff Samarja really looks to be rounding into form after he was rough in late May, early June. And for the Giants, four home runs in this one. Buster Posey is fifth of the year. Brandon Crawford goes deep twice, his seventh and eighth of the campaign. And then you had Mike Ustremski, his sixth. Everything went right for the Giants. And then we saw a Completely opposite game in Game 2, but the result was the same as the Giants were able to win this one. 2-1 to one was counting this one as a pair of solo home runs in the fourth inning is exactly what the Giants needed. Brandon Crawford is ninth, so now he has three home runs in two games, and Stephen Voigt goes yard for his third. Those both came off of Chichi Gonzalez, who actually didn't give a bad start here. Five innings, gives up two runs, both of which were earned. Then from there, Cesar Esavis, two strong innings out of the bullpen. Brian Shaw in inning, and... You also had Jario Diaz give an inning, so the Baraki's bullpen, not as badly taxed as you'd think for a team that gave up 21 runs over the course of two games. And Derek Rodriguez, a guy who failed out as a starter earlier this year, he wound up needing to be essentially pressed into action. Five innings pitch, he gives up one run. From there, Reyes Maranta, Tony Watson, Sam Dyson, Will Smith, all an inning of relief, giving up a combined one hit in that time period. So, got to give a tip of the hat to the pitching of the San Francisco Giants to give up three runs in a doubleheader at Coors Field. Nothing short of amazing, and the offense obviously now clicking. How about the LA Dodgers offense just firing at all cylinders against the Philadelphia Phillies? Phillies are a team that, oh man, it looks like things are going down the tubes for them as the Dodgers win by kind of 16-2. to A little bit of home run derby here as Cody Bellinger goes deep, not once but twice for his 22nd and 23rd home run of the year. Alex Verdugo's 11th home run. Max Muncy is 24th. As for the Philadelphia Phillies, Zach Eflin, man, and the wheels have fallen off from. Why he went six innings in this game, I'm unsure, but he gives up seven runs, all of which were earned. Oh, wait, perhaps the reason is because the bullpen was just as bad. Yaxel Rios does not record it out. He gives up four runs. Yudbre Ramos winds up going an inning. He gives up two runs. 
Edgar Garcia gives up one run while going two-thirds of an inning. And then you had Roman Quinn get the final four outs, and he gave up two runs in the process. Your lone real bright spot for the Philadelphia Phillies, Scott Kingery gets his 12th home run of the year. As for the LA Dodgers, very solid outing out of Clayton Kershaw. This has been one of the most profitable pitchers out there in the big league. Six innings pitch, gives up just one run. That one run was a sole home run. He certainly hasn't been as untouchable as in past years, but the bullpen of the Dodgers also looking a bit better. Casey Sadler, acquired from the Tampa Bay Rays, goes two innings, he gives up a run, and Yibi Garcia, a flawless ending. Things really going well for the Dodgers, and they look to be rounding into form on the road. The Tampa Bay Rays have been so hot with winning their games by two-plus runs. This was not one of them, as now... 48 of their 56 wins have come by two-plus runs. As they get a home run late from Travis Arno to take down the Yankees by a count of 5-4. to four. This game was 2-2 two to two going into the bottom of the eighth inning. And then you had Edwin Encarnacion launching not one but two home runs in this game. The second was a two-run shot in the eighth inning. He now has 26 and 27 home runs on the year. And Gio Urshela also had his eighth dinger of the year. As for the Tampa Bay Rays, Blake Snell actually gave a quality start in this one. Five innings pitch didn't go deep, but he gave up just one run. From there, you had Emilio Pagan give up a solo home run while recording just one out. And Adam Kittredge wound up giving up two runs. That two-run home run to Edwin Encarnacion and Oliver Drake was able to get the save. But for the Tampa Bay Rays, I mentioned it. Travis Arno, he comes up with a clutch three-run home run in the ninth inning against Roldis Chapman. And all the runs that the Rays scored came off of Arno home runs as he went deep three times, his seventh, eighth, and ninth home runs of the year. And for Roldis Chapman, it winds up being a loss for him as he gave up three runs in that ninth inning. But a good sign for the t- for the New York Yankees. James Paxson gives up just two runs in six innings. Those two runs were solo home runs. But with that said, still a pretty quality outing there. A quality showing from the Indians offense as they take down the Detroit Tigers by a count of eight to six. And you can also say a quality outing for the Detroit Tigers offense as other than their game against the Kansas City Royals on Sunday, which Homer Bailey with Scratchy have really been struggling. But Jody Mercer winds up launching two home runs in this one. His his second and third of the year. Jaimeer Candelario also goes deep for his seventh, and Christian Stewart gets his seventh. As for the Cleveland Indians, not necessarily they start that they wanted out of one. Adam Blutko, he gave up three home runs in five and a third innings, five total runs, all of which were earned. And then you had Brad Hand giving up a home run in the ninth inning as well, but the Indians were able to cover the run line because they got three runs in the seventh inning after a rain delay. And Mike Freeman got the party started with his third home run of the year. Orlando Mercado also went deep twice. Those were his fifth and sixth home runs of the year. As for the Detroit Tigers, you just can continue to not back Daniel Norris. Five and two-thirds innings. Gives up five runs, all of which were, and this is a gentleman with a 5-1-4 ERA. I believe his record is 2-9. and nine. He didn't take the loss here, but that belonged to Victor Alcantara, who gave up three runs in the seventh inning as the bullpen of the Detroit Tigers continues to have issues. The pitching continues to have issues. It's just a team you want no part of. A team that you probably didn't want any part of on Monday, and I unfortunately did. The Toronto Blue Jays, as they lose to the Boston Red Sox by a count of 10 to 8. This thing got started early as the Red Sox scored all 10 runs within the first three innings of the game as Trent Thornton only gets four outs. He gives up five runs in the process. Sam Gavilio, very similar line. He gets four outs. He gives up five runs. From there, you had Edwin Jackson give three innings of relief. That's a good sign. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, Billy McKinney winds up getting a home run off of Rick Purcell, his fifth home run of the year. But for the Boston Red Sox, Porcello gave a okay start, I guess you could say. He gave length, but he gave up four runs while going six innings in the process. Ryan Brazier 
continues to be a little bit of a sore spot for a Boston Red Sox bullpen that certainly has been giving it up recently. He gave up four runs while recording two outs, three of which were earned. But for the Boston Red Sox, they were able to get a home run out of Michael Chavis' 16th. And this is a team that's just, in general, doing a very good job of being able to get on base. And the Boston Red Sox, one of the best over teams out there in baseball, and the Toronto Blue Jays have now scored five or more runs in... 13 out of their last 19 games, so they seem to be heating up as well. The Cincinnati Reds playing under once again as they've been the best under team in baseball. Over 60% of their games have won under, and they take down the Chicago Cubs by a count of 6-3. to three. You saw Kyle Hendricks, who has been terrific at home, actually give a pretty good start in this one. Six innings pitch, he gives up two runs, both of which were earned, but both of those were solo home runs as the Cincinnati Reds had Eugenio Suarez go deep off of him for his 22nd of the year and Yasiel Puig is 22nd, but the difference maker, Kirk Casale, his sixth home run of the year, that came off of Steve Ciszek and the Cubs bullpen continues to struggle. You had the bullpen go three innings. They gave up a combined four runs, three of which were earned, including Ciszek giving up that home run as he took the loss in this one. Good news for the Cubs is Kyle Schwarber was able to get a home run off of Mr. Castillo is 20th of the year, but Luis Castillo, another good start. Six innings pitch, gives up three runs, 10 punch outs in the process. And then from there, the Cincinnati Reds bullpen is able to get three innings of relief as they continue to be one of the better and more reliable bullpens out there in the big leagues. The Atlanta Braves have been one of the better and more reliable bullpens out there in the big leagues, and the Milwaukee Brewers recently have not. And that showed as the Braves get a 4-2 win over the Brew Crew. In this one, Max Fried gave his best start in, I would say, two months. Five innings pitch, doesn't give up a single run. You did have Josh Shomlin give up two runs in the sixth inning as going deep for the Milwaukee Brewers off of him was Ryan Braun, his 13th home run of the year, but that was really the only damage that the Milwaukee Brewers were able to muster. As for the Atlanta Braves, they got a home run themselves. Freddie Freeman, his 25th of the year, that was off of Adrian Hauser. Hauser was just copped out there a little bit too long. He was able to give the team six innings, but when he went out there for the seventh, he was getting shelled a little bit. Six innings pitch, he gives up four runs, all of which were earned. Lone good sign for the Brewers. Junior Garrow and Birch Smith combined for three innings. They don't give up a single run in the process. So I guess that's an encouraging sign. An encouraging sign for the Kansas City Royals was being able to get a win over the Chicago White Sox by a count of 5-2. to two. Entering into the night, Lucas Giolito was the second most profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues. He has now lost back-to-back starts, though. As he goes six innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. So not necessarily a terrible start, but it was against the Kansas City Royals. And the White Sox just weren't able to hold up their end of the bargain on offense. James McCann winds up getting a home run his 10th of the year, but that was really the only offensive note for this team as the Kansas City Royals get a great start out of Jacob Judas. Jacob Judas, who has been up and down all year long, trying to predict him is like trying to predict what way a wheel is going to be spun on the Wheel of Fortune. Seven innings pitch. He gives up one run in the process. Scott Barlow also gave up a run out of the bullpen, but the Kansas City Royals had things working in this one, and they did a great job of being able to play some small ball as well as they were able to get 10 hits, and they hit 3 of 16 only with men in scoring position, but they were able to get those opportunities. As for the White Sox, they also had two runs given up out of the bullpen. Jose Ruiz and Josh Osich both gave up a run in an inning of relief, and there was no relief needed out in the city of St. Louis for the Cardinals as they get a 7-0 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates. And Miles Mikolas, though he gave up eight hits, was able to go the distance. He only had three strikeouts in the process, but didn't give up a single run. Much needed for a St. Louis team that, by the way, has been averaging right around 3.4, 3.5 runs per game since the month of June started. And they were able to get two home runs off the bat of Tyler O'Neill, his third and fourth of the year. Those came off of Joe Musgrove and Kyle Crick, as in this one, the bad Joe Musgrove showed up. In four and two-thirds innings, he gives up five runs, four of which were earned Kyle Crick. 
gave up one of those home runs as well. He got two outs, gave up two runs in the process, and for the Pittsburgh Pirates, just nothing doing for them. 0 for 8 with men in scoring position. They just weren't able to muster any hard contact, though. They were getting a lot of hits in general. This is a Pirates team that, by the way, has been playing nearly 70% of its games at home to the over, more around 50-50 over to under on the road. And then things were capped off with the LA Angels being able to take down the Houston Astros by a count of 9-6. to For the LA Angels, they were really able to get to Fanbar Valdez. You had Josh James give a open for him, and he gave a nice ending, not giving up any hits or anything like that. But then Valdez goes four innings, gives up seven runs, now only four of which were earned. He was hurt by a throwing error by himself, and he was hurt by a pair of Jose Altuve errors as well. But just not an ideal start as Andrelton Simmons was able to have a big hit off of him. He goes deep for his fifth home run of the year. And then from there, the Astros bullpen, which has been showing a couple weeks, had Colin McHugh give up two runs in two innings as well. One of those was earned. One of those was unearned. The lone bright spot for the Houston Astros was George Springer finally being able to go deep after being on the injured list for so long. He went deep twice his 19th and 20th of the year. As for the LA Angels, Griffin Canning did not give the start that they wanted. He recorded four outs and he gave up three runs in the process, but you've got to give it to the bullpen. Going the remaining seven and two-thirds innings, they gave up three runs in the process. Ty Buttery wound up giving up one of those runs, and Justin Anderson went in and giving up two runs himself. But all in all, the LA Angels playing some very inspired baseball, and they have been very hot to the over as well. Eight of their last 11 games have gone over the total, and ever since the sad and unfortunate death of Tyler Skaggs, they are 7-3 and three as a unit. So this is a team that has really had a rallying cry. So what did we all learn from the world of the MLB on Monday? Jeff Samarja looking like a great pitcher. Herman Marquez has to go on your fade list, but the San Francisco Giants, white hot right now. The LA Dodgers continue to win whenever Clayton Kershaw takes the mound, and they are looking pretty good on the road right now. The Tampa Bay Rays are continuing to just be able to win games somehow, some way. The two-run streak maybe is coming to a little bit of an end, but with that said, they're finding a way to get the job done. The Cleveland Indians certainly have heated up with the bat, and Daniel Norris just cannot get wins to save his life. The Boston Red Sox bullpen, certainly leaky, but the offense are certainly doing a terrific job. The Chicago Cubs are having some bullpen issues, but they're still very good at home. 32-17 and 17 is their home record. The Atlanta Braves are continuing to win games by 2-plus runs. They have won every game since the All-Star break by 2-plus. It looks like Lucas Giolito is showing a couple chinks in the armor. The Pittsburgh Pirates are not getting a lot out of Joe Musgrove, but perhaps the St. Louis Cardinals are getting the jolt in the arm that they need. And the LA Angels offense is really firing right now, and they are playing a lot of inspired baseball. So... That was the world of baseball on Monday. Now let's turn the page forward to Tuesday. Let's look at today's matchup, and let's just have some fun. Julian Edlow of DraftKings joins me next right here on MLB Overtime Bet. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. Here on MLB Overtime Betting, Greg Peterson coming at you from the Zuni Tequila Studios out here in lovely Las Vegas. Great to have on our next guest. He has joined me a couple times, and he is a terrific contributor for DraftKings. He does some writing for them. He is also on their video feed. Does a little bit of everything. He is right now knee-deep in baseball. I'm sure that he's getting all primed up for the NFL season that's coming up. He does some college basketball, NBA, you name it, this man does it. It is Julian Edlow joining me. And you can follow him on Twitter at Julian Edlow. It is essentially how it sounds, J-U-L-I-A-N, 
E-D-L-O-W. And Julian, how are you doing today? I'm doing a lot better after that intriguing intro. Thank you, Greg. And what else was intriguing was the fact that we both had the San Francisco Giants in Game 1 of the doubleheader yesterday. That was very, very good to say the least. And what have you seen out of the San Francisco Giants? Because going into Game 2 of their doubleheader yesterday, this team had won 9 of their last 11 games. And what I've noticed is that the offense has really picked up as well. I believe that in 8 out of their last 11 games, they've scored 6-plus runs. So this is a turnaround for a team that, you know what, as crazy as it sounds, they're about four games out of the wild card. Yeah, it's kind of a crazy time to start considering San Francisco Giants futures, maybe to make the postseason or whatever their win total over under was at the all-star break. Maybe you got the over there, but this team has come out of nowhere offensively. And as you mentioned, that's why I think we both liked them on the front end of that double header. San Francisco has been so good offensively. Samarja has been pitching really well in July. Marquez has fallen off a little bit for Colorado. And the ball's been flying out of the park at Coors, as we saw in that weekend series coming out of the break against Cincinnati. So it just seemed like a spot where this hot offense comes into Coors Field. And it's an offense that nobody's really been considering because they're so quiet overall on the season. But they've really been making some noise. They're definitely an intriguing team down the stretch here and a team that you definitely want to focus on unless there's a real pitching mismatch because we're going to be getting plus prices on them almost every day. Absolutely. I do think that one of these times two perhaps fade them is Drew Pomerantz on the road against Peter Lambert on Tuesday. This is going to be a matchup of two pitchers that, let's face it, not great to say the least. I'm seeing an opening total of 14 with the Colorado Rockies minus 130 favorite, Giants plus 120. Drew Pomerantz has actually been pitching pretty well at home. But I've noticed that this guy has just been getting wrecked at on the road, no matter where he goes. And with him going to Coors Field, I just feel like this has the possibility of being a bloodbath. Yeah, I'm with you here. This is this is either a rocky spot or a stay away spot for me. Getting that plus 180-ish price on Samarja, that was much more intriguing. Obviously, you got that price because it was against Marquez, but... Plus 120 on, on Pomeranz at Coors just isn't enough, really, to play that. So this is one, the way things have been going at Coors, maybe another spot to look at the over. But uh, in terms of the game, yeah, you, you got to go Rockies or nothing there for me. I agree with you, as we do have Julian Edlow of DraftKings joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And we've got quite a few intriguing games on Tuesday. And one that really stands out to me is the Seattle Mariners going on the road against the Oakland A's. Daniel Megden did a very good job of being able to limit the hard contact in his first couple starts, but we've noticed recently he's been giving up some home runs going against a Seattle Mariners team that they just got absolutely wrecked in that series against the Los Angeles Angels, let's be honest. But Marco Gonzalez has actually been a little bit of a bright spot for them. Right now I'm noticing the Mariners plus 155, A's minus 170. A's are a white-hot team. I believe that they've won something like 18 out of their last 24 games. This is a team that really has gotten back into the wild card picture. But if there is one guy you can back for the Seattle Mariners, I do feel like it is Marco Gonzalez. What do you make out of this one? Because it is one of those things where I do think that recent form points me to the A's, especially the way they're hitting lefties. Yeah, the A's are definitely heating up and invested in themselves by bringing Homer Bailey in there. So they're going for that wild card spot against, you know, the Red Sox, whoever else may be in the hunt there. And this is an interesting spot because Marco Gonzalez, he's going good right now, but he's had some highs and some lows this season. And although he's pitching well now, it's a tough spot for me with how good Oakland's offense would be. Ideally, I, I would like to take Oakland in, in this game, but that minus 170 price might just be a little too much. So 
to be honest with you, uh, this is a game that I probably have to do more research on and try and decide if I like Oakland enough to take them on the run line to get them at, you know, closer to even money. Or if it's a spot where I, I like playing Seattle as the dog with how Marco Gonzalez has been going lately. So this is probably a spot that I need to do more research on before actually giving a play on it right now. I do not blame you there. And something that I'm going to have to do some research on is how the Boston Red Sox are going to look now that you've got Andrew Kashner on the team. He recently got traded from the Baltimore Orioles to the Boston Red Sox. And it looks like he's going to be making his Red Sox debut on Tuesday against the Blue Jays. Now, as we know, Andrew Kasher, the most profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues, and it looks like he's going to be going up against, hopefully I'm saying this last name correctly for the Blue Jays, <laughs> Wag Jetspack, I would like to say. And right now we're seeing Andrew Kasher as a one minus 190 favorite. I think we can both agree, after Andrew Kasher in his first 17 starts of the year, if you put $100 on every one of them, making you over $1,200, I think we can both agree that is certainly going to dry up because now that he's on the Boston Red Sox, you're going to see these badly inflated prices. Yeah, this is just a completely different situation. You're going from one of the worst teams in baseball to maybe not one of the best teams in baseball, but a team in the playoff hunt and a team from a talent perspective that obviously is a defending World Series champ. So prices are going to change dramatically on Kashner, and we're going to start to see it right off the bat Tuesday. He did make a start at Fenway Park earlier this season. He gave up three runs in five innings pitch. Now, obviously, that was against the Red Sox offense rather than a Toronto Blue Jays offense. Kashner has been really good against the Blue Jays in a pair of starts this season. He's 2-0 with a 0.69 ERA. He's given up one earned run in 13 innings. So this is a spot where I kind of like Kashner, number one, because he's been undervalued all season, and number two, he should be hyped up to make his team debut for finally a good team after all these bad years with the Orioles. So when you take kind of those narratives and then place some numbers on top of it, the fact that Cashman has actually been really good against Toronto, this could definitely be a spot where we look at the Red Sox on the run line. Absolutely. As we do have Julian Edlow joining me right here on the podcast. And just a general question. We noticed it a couple times last year. Cole Hamels, when he got traded from the Texas Rangers to the Chicago Cubs had a nice turnaround. Even J.A. Happ, when he got traded and went to the Yankees, he got a little bit of a jolt. How do you gauge these guys that do get traded? Because we were just talking about Andrew Kasher. Homer Bailey is going to be making his debut pretty soon for the Oakland A's as well. It doesn't look like it's going to be tomorrow, but it looks like it's going to be soon. How do you handicap these guys? Because I always notice that a change of scenery typically does a guy a lot of good. Now, Chris Archer really didn't live up to that last year, but for the most part, a lot of these guys that got traded from one of these lesser teams to a contender, they just instantly seem to find a little bit of a jolt. Yeah, Archer is probably really one of the outliers. Normally, this works out well, and it works because one of the more talented pitchers on a bad team is getting a shot with a good team. That gets them up. That gets them on top of their game. And in Kashner's situation, Fenway, a place that, you know, you give up a lot of runs, yes, but he's coming from Camden Yards. So is it really going to be that much different? Probably not. He's just going to likely get more run support and potentially pitch better for his new team. Homer Bailey's one that I really like. Now, he obviously had, had some very poor times with the Reds. Last season, he couldn't get a win for his life, but he was significantly better for Kansas City in Kauffman Stadium this season. And Oakland is a place that should, you know, be similarly favorable to him. And now he's going to have a much better offense working for him. We just talked about how hot that A's offense is. So Homer Bailey is a guy that I'm interested to see where the prices land on him because he's a guy that just on brand name might continue to be overvalued, undervalued now that he's got a, a much better team behind him and is still in a pitcher's park. He's a guy that 
potentially will intrigue me down the stretch once we start to see what kind of prices he gets coming off this trade, coming out of the All-Star break. I agree with you. And something else that has me intrigued is one of the young pitchers for the Pittsburgh Pirates, Dario Agrazil. He is going to be on the road facing off against the St. Louis Cardinals on Tuesday. Jack Flaherty has been a hot mess for the St. Louis Cardinals this year. He's given up 20 home runs and 97 innings. And yet when we take a look at it, the St. Louis Cardinals, about a minus 165 favorite, a St. Louis Cardinals team that since the beginning of June Averaging, what, 3.4 runs per game, somewhere in that neighborhood. One of the bottom three offenses in the big league since the start of June. This is a spot where I know the Pittsburgh Pirates have been struggling, but I actually do feel like this is a good spot for them. And Agrazil in three starts has been pretty good. He's given up two runs or fewer in all three of them. This is a guy that I didn't know much about. I've seen him on the cards recently and started looking into him. I haven't I haven't bet on any game that he's made a start in, but as you mentioned, He's been rock solid. One of them, of course, was against Miami. That was actually his worst start, probably. The two earned runs, three actual runs in four innings. But the other two starts, six innings, quality start against Houston, quality start against Milwaukee. That's good stuff. So the Cardinals are, I think, a pretty overrated offense this season. They still kind of get a little bit of respect on their brand name with Carpenter, with Goldschmidt, who's been a complete bust. And, you know, as I do from time to time on here, I tell you how I look at the DraftKings salaries and kind of compare that to what that means for the gambling lines. And, you know, the Cardinals are a team getting a really high price at that minus 170 projected for, you know, over five runs. But then you look at the bats in the lineup and Matt Carpenter is a guy that's 3,700 bucks. Paul Goldschmidt's 4000 bucks. When he was in his heyday in Arizona, he was a guy that was cost between $5,500 and $6,000 in the middle of that lineup. So there's really Goldschmidt at $4,000 is the most expensive bat in the Cardinals lineup. That tells you that they are not hitting. So I think that this St. Louis offense is being overvalued in all aspects. And for that reason, I think the Pirates are a solid play as an underdog, especially as you mentioned I barely knew anything about this guy starting for the Pirates, so that means a lot of other people probably don't know much about him and will just look right past him, whereas I think we're getting a really solid price on him. I totally agree with you, as we do have Julian Edlow of DraftKings joining me right here on the podcast, and what else I find intriguing about the St. Louis Cardinals is that they are missing a couple bets. Mm -hmm. Marcel Ozuna and Yadier Molina, both currently on the fold, they're on the 10-day injured list. This is big, because typically I won't downgrade a team too much if they have one guy on the injured list. Now, it's a little bit different if it's Christian Yelich rather than, say, like Robinson Cano of the New York Mets or something like that. But really, when I start to downgrade an offense is when you've got two key players out like the St. Louis Cardinals do right now. Is that sort of your philosophy or how do you gauge things when you notice a position player or two is out of the lineup? Like you said, I don't put a ton of weight on it until the injuries start piling up. There will be days, like you said, if you see a really big name bat that is not in the lineup, I'll start to take that into account a little bit. But for the most part, like you said, unless, and I don't take it into account much either if somebody's, you know, having a rest day, because particularly in the NL, they can wind up coming into that game to pinch hit in the middle of the game and playing the most important part of the game, getting their most important at bats. So it really comes down to when injuries pile up for me that you start looking at it. And in some cases, like the beginning of the season with the New York Yankees, losing like all their key guys and still winning games, sometimes it gets you just a better price on a team that you would want to bet anyway. But in terms of the Cardinals here, yeah, it's definitely not doing them any favors to have two crucial guys in their lineup out. And I think their offense is still kind of being overvalued and and looked past that, where those guys definitely make a difference offensively. 
Absolutely. And then a team that might be a little bit overvalued on Tuesday, but the question is, are they really overvalued or not, is the Texas Rangers, as they're going to be playing most of the Arizona Diamondbacks. Alex Young is going to be getting his start for the Diamondbacks. And in two starts and three total appearances, Young has been terrific. 2-0 record, 0.68 ERA, obviously very small sample size, but got to give up to him there. And then Lance Lynn has been lights out for the Texas Rangers. 12-4 record, 3.69 ERA, but his peripheral numbers are even better. Ever since the first month or so of the year, he's been great. Texas Rangers, most profitable team in the big leagues at home, 31-19 record. But on the run line, the Arizona Diamondbacks as an underdog, 39-18 against the run line. That is huge, and they have a winning record on the road as well. Currently, what I'm noticing is that the Texas Rangers, about a minus-165 favorite. This is a really tough call for me. What do you make out of this one? Because I love Lance Lynn. I love the Texas Rangers at home, but the Arizona Diamondbacks have been hitting so well on the road as well, and Young has been very good in the couple innings that he's been able to pitch. You nailed this one, I think. I'm very torn as well. I also love targeting lefties against the Rangers because the Rangers have a much more difficult time. Obviously, their lineup is pretty left-handed centric, and then Alex Young has has been so good, a left-handed pitcher. So I actually like targeting lefties a lot against the Rangers, which also puts even more pressure on me to like the Diamondbacks here. Whereas the Rangers, as you mentioned, at home and even more so for me, just how good Lance Lynn has been out of nowhere almost. He's a guy that you can almost lock in as a bet every time he starts and you would be very profitable. So I did not know that Arizona Diamondbacks run line stat that you threw out there as an underdog. That is pretty impressive. So uh, this is another one that I lean early just looking at, at the price and getting a really talented young left-handed pitcher there that I would lean Diamondbacks and you could play him on the run line there if you want to be safer. But again, I think I would probably have to do a little bit more research on this one before making a final call just because I think we got to give Lance Lynn that respect at this stage. You can't just pile on against Lance Lynn without doing your homework. Oh, I don't blame you there as we do have Julian Edlow joining me right here on the podcast. And we're right now doing this on Monday afternoon and I can tell you right now on this Rangers versus Diamondbacks game, I have to look a little bit more into it myself because there's a lot of things I like about the Diamondbacks. There's a lot of things I like about the Rangers as well. So that is certainly going to be my tough call of the day. And are there any other games on Tuesday that are really intriguing to you? We've got Walker Beeler on the mound. That should be a good one. Brandon Woodruff going against the Atlanta Braves. Anthony Scalfani going for the Cincinnati Reds. So do have a lot of intrigue. Yeah, the Cashner spot I thought was interesting for sure, and we covered that a little bit. Matt Boyd against Trevor Bauer, obviously the Indians, I mean, they're just going in a weird direction. They narrowed it before the break to five and a half games in the division against the Twins. They come out, they almost get swept in that series, claw out the last game to go one and two. And now it's just kind of what direction are they going to go in and are they going to make any moves? And Trevor Bauer is a name that keeps coming up. I'm interested to see how that affects a guy like Trevor Bauer. And Trevor Bauer is, you know, a guy not afraid to share his opinion. We've, we've seen over the years, he'll speak his mind. So he's an emotional guy. So I'm curious to see how that'll affect him, you know, not just this week, but moving forward, if and when, until he gets traded. And then one last spot real quick. I've enjoyed playing the Marlins a lot as an underdog this season. That's cooled down a little bit of late, but we're going to get them at plus money at home with Jordan Yamamoto on the mound. And he's been terrific for the most part for Miami. Not all that scary of a San Diego team coming in to Miami for that series. So uh, that could be a series where we're looking at some Marlins underdog plays, not just on Tuesday, but the rest of the way out. Oh, absolutely. I do think that regression is going to be coming for Logan Allen. Jordan Yamimoto in his five starts, 1.3 or so ERA. He has been terrific. And then 
that matchup that you mentioned for the Tigers versus the Indians. Oh, Looks yeah. like we're going to be getting that on Thursday, but I do want to ask you about Matthew Boyd because Matthew Boyd, to me, has been such an outlier ever since June. He's given up three or more runs in every one of his starts. I don't know what what has happened, but until I see something different, I've got to be fading him because he's given up three-plus runs in every start, and he's backed up by a Detroit Tigers lineup that is about as offensive <laughs> so as that's another guy, right Matt now. Boyd, that's a name right there that is you know, going to be on the trade block just because of how bad the Tigers are and because he's been poor lately, but how good of a piece Boyd's been on the season. He's a guy that's going to intrigue other teams. So I'm curious if this recent slide has anything to do with his potential to be traded and just kind of losing interest with the Tigers. So you said it, if if Boyd's not going to be going well, he has absolutely nothing behind him in terms of a bullpen, nothing to be afraid of there. The Tigers are definitely being overpriced with Matt Boyd on the mound recently, given the way he's pitching. And like Bauer, like any of these other trade targets, that's something that I want to put some weight on, pay attention to, and just always be aware of, at least until we get to that trade deadline. Wholeheartedly agree with you. And Julian, I would like to close it up with this. I know you're doing tremendous work out there with DraftKings. You're on their video feed. You're doing a whole lot of written work as well. You're on Twitter at Julian Edlow. Let the good people know where they can just get a little bit more of your content in general, since I know that you're doing terrific work. Yeah, well, you're going to get a bunch of plays all the time if you follow me on Twitter, but you will also get articles on the DraftKings playbook, MLB stacks related for DFS purposes, and then Wednesdays and Thursdays will be my MLB Best Bets articles. Um, You want to download the DK Live app if you don't have it, whether you're betting or playing DFS, because that'll get you all the injury, lineup news, whatever you need to know, all sports related. And you can catch The Sweat on Twitter on DK Live every weeknight around 6 p.m. Eastern time, covering all things DFS and sports gambling related. We got our DK podcast that comes out on Wednesdays. Bits and pieces come out on Twitter. It's released in its entirety later in the day. Yeah, a lot of good stuff going on. Terrific. A big thanks to Julian Edlow of DraftKings for joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Now coming up next, it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on Tuesday's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Hey, I'm Steve Heitner, the guy who uttered the famous phrase, that's gold. And that's the inspiration of my new podcast, That's Gold with Steve Heitner. We talk sports, sports betting, movies, comedy, food, drink, Vegas, music, movies, and more. Five days a week. Did I say movies twice? Look, guys love it, whether they're hip or worried about breaking a hip. Find us on Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify and Stitcher. That's gold with me, Steve Heitner. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And we're back here in the Zubitikil Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to our guy, Julian Edlow, with DraftKings for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time that I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Note that some of these plays are all locked in, good to go, bet on everything like that. Some of these plays were in a little bit of wait and see mode, waiting on some lineup changes, line moves, everything like that. 
For the plays that are not locked in, I will be keeping you abreast of that on my Twitter feed at GNRSquart81. And as I go through this podcast, I will let you know what plays are all locked in and what plays I am in wait-and-see mode. And as per usual, we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. And that starts with 901-902 on the bang rotation. It is the LA Dodgers, and they are on the road facing off against the Philadelphia Phillies. Vince Velasquez goes for the Philadelphia Phillies. Walker Buehler for the Dodgers. Your total on this game is 9.5. The over is juice of minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Dodgers, minus 180 across the board. Plus price with the Phillies anywhere between plus 160 and plus 165. Velasquez actually has had some quality starts so far this year, but the bad starts, boy, have they been bad. 2-5 and five record. 463 ERA. He was relegated to the bullpen, and then he became a starter once again. Now, in two of his last three starts, he's given up at least four earned runs, but he has had a couple starts where he's went five innings, giving up one or two runs, so he is a little bit up and down, but what he also gives up, the long ball. In 56 and a third innings, 13 home runs given up. Meanwhile, you take a look at Walker Buehler. Aside from when he went to Coors Field, things have been going very well for him. Ever since the beginning of May, he has given up more than three earned runs in a start outside of Coors Field just once. So he has been very good in that regard. 8-1 record, 104 innings. He's given up 11 home runs, so less than a home run per nine innings, and 14 walks. That is right around 1.25 walks per nine innings. Terrific command, 10 strikeouts per nine innings, and he's backed up by a lineup of the LA Dodgers that has been doing a terrific job of being able to get on base and being able to drive guys in, and it's all led by Cody Bellinger. 31 home runs for him. He's hitting 335 over 70 RBI. Max Muncy, Corey Seager, and Chris Taylor are all guys hitting between a 260 and a 270. And in the case of Muncy, he's went deep 23 times. Now, Kike Hernandez and Austin Barnes, both a low a 225 is not good. And Jock Peterson, it's been in a little bit of a power outage, only in 237, but he's drawing a lot of walks. And he does have 20 home runs on the year. Gotta like what Alex Verdugo and Justin Turner do, both hitting between a 295 and a 310. And then with the Dodgers, you're able to bring in guys like Will Smith, Rios and company, whenever they need some key at-bats from guys off the bench are able to get them. Meanwhile, with the Philadelphia Phillies, they've got a couple guys that are doing a decent job of getting on base. Scott Kingery, Gene Segura, and JT Riomito all in between a 270 and a 280. Bryce Harper has an on-base percentage near 370, but he's hitting a 253. He's right now one of the top strikeout men in baseball, 16 home runs and 62 RBI. And then you've got Reese Hoskins, who's hitting a 262, and he certainly does have some power, 20 home runs and 59 RBI, but it feels like he's in a little bit of an outage. Jay Bruce was white hot when he got to Philadelphia. He is cooled down. He's hitting 235 for the year. Mikel Franco has actually been picking things up. He's got a 240 average. He's had a couple home runs recently, and Cesar Hernandez is hitting a 287, but with the Dodgers, I know that their bullpen sometimes lets them down, but I have seen a little bit of improvement from guys like Julio Urias whenever he's not doing bad things off the field. Yimi Garcia and company, and with the Philadelphia Phillies, guys like Hector Neris have just not been doing the job. So for that reason, going to be looking at the run line of the LA Dodgers and this total under. When I take a look at the run line, currently I'm seeing it right around minus 110. So I'm going to be in wait and see mode, try to mitigate a little bit of juice. And with the Dodgers versus Phillies, I'm currently trying to see if this total goes up a little bit because I am noticing that this is juice the over. 903-904 on the bang rotation. You've got the San Diego Padres on the road against the Miami Marlins. Jordan Yamimoto goes for the Miami Marlins. Meanwhile, Logan Allen goes for the San Diego Padres. Your total on this game is 8. The over is just anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the 
fish, you're going to be getting a plus price of plus 115. Meanwhile, with the Padres, you're going to be laying minus 125. And after a 10 and 31 start to the year, the Marlins have actually been respectable over their last 50 games. They're 24 and 26, so they've certainly been picking things up. They did lose two of three in their series against the New York Mets, but you gotta love the way that Yamimoto's been pitching. 3-0 record in five starts. He's won a total of 29 innings, so about six innings per start. He has not allowed a single home run. Now, he is giving up right around 4.6 or so walks per nine innings. Obviously, that is a little bit of an issue, but all in all, he's actually been doing a pretty darn good job for this team. Meanwhile, you take a look at what you're getting out of Logan Allen, and I think that there's going to be a little bit of regression. He's got a 2 and one record, 450 ERA. He's made three starts and one long relief appearance. And over his last five innings, that long relief appearance and the start against the San Francisco Giants combined seven runs given up in five innings. He had two very good starts, including one in which he looked very stellar against the Milwaukee Brewers. And with the San Diego Padres, we certainly do know that the bats have a lot of power in them, and that's all led by Famio Reyes and Hunter Renfro. They have a combined 52 home runs between the two of them. And then you do have to like the way that Manny Machado has come on as well. He got off to a rough start of the year. Now he's hitting right around to 270. He has went deep 22 times for the team. Eric Cosmer doing a good job of being able to set the table. 283 average, 13 home runs, 63 RBI. And Fernando Tatis Jr. as a leadoff hitter, absolutely terrific. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 13 to 14 steals, 14 home runs, 340 average. But then you've got a couple guys that are really struggling with the bat as well. Austin Hedges, Francisco Mejia, Ian Kinsler, Will Myers, all hitting below a 230. Josh Taylor and Manuel Margot, not a whole lot better between 235 and 237 is their batting average, and neither of these guys really draw walks. Craig Garcia, though, he's hitting right around a 260. But I will say also for the San Diego Padres, their long relief is starting to fail them. Trey Winchenter now is his ERA above a 4. Craig Stamen seems to be doing better in recent weeks, but he saw his ERA near 4, and then you just can't trust guys like Robert Stock and company to be able to hold down a game. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Miami Marlins. For the year, their bullpen has been bad, but guys like Austin Bryce and company have actually been picking things up, and the bats in general have been picking things up. Brett Anderson has 12 home runs, 40 RBI. He's hitting nearly a 250. Harold Ramirez has been dropping with his batting average a little bit, but he's still hitting right around a 285, and then you've got Miguel Rojas and Garrett Cooper hitting between a 290 and a 310 themselves. Neil Walker's off the injured list. He's batting a 270. Sterling Castro, even though he draws no walks to save his life, he's hitting a 250. You do have a couple guys that are really struggling with the bat, so JT Riddle, Cesar Puello, Curtis Granderson, Austin Deem, Rosella Herrera. These are all guys that are batting below a 210, but whenever you have Brian Holiday behind the dish, he's been hitting above a 300. Jorge Alfaro, a 270 himself. He's got a little bit of pop in the bat, and I do like the way that the Marlins are rounding into form in general. I do think that there's going to be a little bit of regression for Mr. Yamimoto. He's going to be probably due to give up a home run here eventually, and I do think that it will be to a guy like a Femio Reyes or a Hunter Renfro, but I do think that Logan Allen is going to get hit, and he's going to get hit hard, and I think the Marlins have a little bit of an advantage in the bullpen. So, going to be riding the plus price of the Marlins and the over. Currently in wait-and-see mode on the over, just because I am noticing a lot of juice coming in on the under, but have already locked in the Miami Marlins plus price. 905-906 on the betting rotation. We are on to Cincinnati, as it is the Reds, and they're actually going to be on the road for this one, so we're not going to be specifically in the city of Cincinnati, but they are taking on the Chicago Cubs. Alec Mills is going to be getting his first start of the year for the Chicago Cubs. Meanwhile, Anthony Di Scalfani toes the rubber for the 
Cincinnati Reds. Your total on this game is currently off the board since it is a Wrigley Field game, but if you are looking at the sides, the Chicago Cubs are laying anywhere between minus 127 and minus 130 plus price with the Reds, and we're between plus 117 and plus 120. When you take a look at Mills, he did wind up making two starts and five relief appearances for the Chicago Cubs last year. Wasn't great, but wasn't awful. For ERA, I believe that one of his starts did come against the Reds in a game in which the wind was badly blowing out. The total was like 13 or something ridiculous, and it was like 1-0 to zero going into the seventh inning. So he actually does have a little bit of a track record of success against the Cincinnati Reds. But then you take a look at the AAA numbers, and you realize it might just be a product of a small sample size. He is 6-2 and two out there at the AAA level at Iowa this year, but a 473 ERA. He's given up 1.7 home runs per 9 innings, fewer than 9 strikeouts per 9 innings, and he's got a 1.39 whip. That is a little bit unsightly. Meanwhile, with Mr. D. Scalfani, it hasn't necessarily been great for him. He's been a little bit up and down, but 5-4 record, 426 ERA, and we do know this. The Cincinnati Reds back him up with one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues. He, too, though, lends himself to way too much hard contact. They had 86 and two-thirds innings. He's given up 17 home runs. That's right around 1.8 home runs per nine innings, but he seems to have really found himself ever since the beginning of the month of June. Now, I will say, he had one blow-up start against the Milwaukee Brewers in which he gave up six runs, but other than that, ever since the beginning of the month of June, he's given up two runs or fewer in every other one of his starts, including a really good showing in which he didn't give up any runs in six innings against the Chicago Cubs, and with the Cincinnati Reds, perhaps that trip to Coors is exactly what they needed because certainly their bats came alive in that one, and now you've got Philip Irvin hitting right around a 330-340-ish. It's absolutely insane, but you've got a bunch of guys on this team now that have their batting average hovering between a 260 and a 270, and Yasiel Puig, Joey Votto, and Nick Senzel. In the case of Puig, he's went deep 21 times. Eugenio Suarez, 21 home runs himself, 246 average. Derek Diedrich has only had two home runs since the beginning of the month of June. He's hitting a 218, so that's been an issue. Scooter Jeanette is coming off the injured list, hitting below the Mendoza line, which is 200, but Kirkus Alley has his average back to a 252. Jose Iglesias hitting a 282 himself, but then you take a look at the Chicago Cubs lineup, and it's pretty darn good. Javi Baez, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and Kyle Schwarber all hitting between 18 and 22 home runs in the case of Baez, 289 average. You've got Victor Carantini whenever he's behind the dish. He's hitting a 300 and then Wilson Contreras whenever he's out there. He's got 19 or 20 home runs himself. He's hitting nearly a 290. Jason Hayward's hitting a 275. Addison Russell, David Bodie, and Albert Armora Jr. are laying in between a 242 and a 250 themselves. And Schwarber's been struggling with the average at a 230 but still drawing a lot of walks. And with the Cubs, I do feel like their bullpen is improving a little bit. Guys like Kyle Ryan are starting to step up and now you've got Craig Kimbrell coming into his best form. So for that reason, I do think that we are going to see maybe a little bit of a lower scoring game, but I do have to trust in Anthony D. Scalfani a little bit more than Alec Mills. I do think that Mills' start against the Cincinnati Reds last year was a little bit of a flash in the pan. So going to be taking the plus price here with the Cincinnati Reds. With regards to a total, going to need to see where it shoots out. If we see something harebrained and the wind is not really blowing out, probably going to be looking at an under, but as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at JudenRSquarty1 since those Wrigley Field totals, well, they vary a lot based on the weather. We move on to 907-908 on the bank rotation. The Atlanta Braves are on the road facing off against the Milwaukee Brewers. Brandon Woodruff goes for the Brew Crew. Meanwhile, Bryce Wilson is on the bump for the Atlanta Braves. Your total on this game is 9.5. Over is just anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Brewers, laying anywhere between minus 160 and minus 165. 
plus price with the Atlanta Braves. Anywhere between plus 150 and plus 152. And when you take a look at some of the most profitable pitchers out there in baseball, you're going to find Brandon Woodruff towards the top of that list. He is number six to be exact. If you've bet $100 on him, according to our friends at Odd Shark, in all 18 of his starts, you're up just a little bit over $620. 10-3 record, but I do feel like there might be a little bit of regression coming in from 367 ERA in the month of June. He had one start in which he gave up fewer than three earned runs, and yet he was still compiling wins in the starts that he got a decision, and he was 3-1. and one. And meanwhile, for Mr. Wilson, he had a terrible start in his first outing, but in his last start, he actually looked pretty good. He's got a 1-0 record, 6-1-4 ERA. Now, he got shelled against the Chicago Cubs, like I was mentioning earlier, but last time he went out against the Philadelphia Phillies, he gave up two runs in six innings. This is a guy that is a little bit prone to giving up the long ball. Three home runs give it up in just under 15 innings, along with seven walks, but he is also backed up by a tremendous lineup, and it's all headlined by Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman hitting just a hair above 300, over 70 RBI, 24 home runs. Ronald Acuna Jr. at the top line of 291 average, 23 home runs, 14 stolen bases. Dansby Swanson and Josh Donaldson have eaten up a combined 38 home runs for them. Dansby Swanson hitting at 273, Josh Donaldson at 255. Nick Marcakis, Ozzie Albies, both hitting at 288 themselves. Brian McCann has been hitting just below a 260, and Austin Riley seeing his average dip to more of around a 250, but he's got 16 dingers himself. He's getting a home run every 13 or so at bats. And then with the Milwaukee Brewers, we all know what Christian Yelich can do. 330 average, 32 home runs, 21 stolen bases, 68 RBI. You throw in there Mike Moustakas, 265 average, 25 home runs. Yasmani Grandal, 253 average, 19 dingers. But then you also have Kesson Hira, who has been very good since getting called up to the big leagues. He is getting a home run every 14 or so at bats. 283 average. Orlando Arcia, though, has seen a dip in his average to a 232. And Asus Aguiar hitting in the neighborhood as well, which is actually a little bit of an encouraging sign. Lorenzo Cain still doing a decent job with his speed, but he's hitting a 250 himself. But we've noticed this. Their relief pitching has been bad. Josh Hader seems to be showing a couple chinks in the armor. Jeremy Jeffries has actually been okay, but guys like Alex Claudio, Matt Albers are just not doing the job. And the Atlanta Braves, actually a top seven bullpen in regards to ERA. Guys like Luke Jackson have really stepped up for them. So even if Wilson has a start similar to the one that he did against the Chicago Cubs, I do think that there's a chance that they're going to be able to pull it out, and I do like the San Atlanta Braves offense in general. Brandon Woodruff has been giving up a lot of runs, so for that reason, going to be riding with the plus price of the Atlanta Braves and the over. Currently Wayne Simon on both of these, currently seeing a little bit of steam coming in on the under, and I am also currently seeing the money funneling in on the Milwaukee Brewers. So I'm waiting to see mode there. Game 909, 9-10 on the batting rotation. You got the Pittsburgh Pirates on the road facing off against the St. Louis Cardinals. Jack Flaherty goes for the cards. Meanwhile, Dario Agrazil for the Pittsburgh Pirates. If you're looking to walk the plank with the Buccos, Going to be getting a plus price anywhere between plus 152 and plus 155. Want to lay it with the Cardinals. That's anywhere between minus 162 and minus 175. The total on this game is 9. Under is just anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Over anywhere between minus 105 and even. And we brought it up in the last segment with Mr. Edlow. This is a spot where I do look at Dario Agrazil. He's right now made three starts for the team. He gave up two runs in four innings against the Miami Marlins. And ever since then, he's been terrific. Now, he has given up three home runs, but even at the AAA level, he did a very good job of limiting hard contact. Jack Flaherty, he has not limited hard contact so far this year. Just under 1.9 home runs per nine innings given up. Four and six record, 464 ERA. I will say he's coming off a pretty good start in which he went seven innings, giving up one run against the San Francisco Giants. But past that, ever since his 
First ever since his second start in the month of June, he's given up three or more runs in every one of his other starts aside from that one. With the St. Louis Cardinals, the bullpen has been a little bit hit or miss. It's actually been pretty decent, but I still don't have a lot of trust in guys like Andrew Miller. And with the Pittsburgh Pirates, you do have a lot of guys that are doing a tremendous job of being able to get on base. Josh Bell hitting just below a 300, and he has certainly been supplying the boom with 27 home runs and had league best 84 RBI. Brian Reynolds is hitting a 336. Kevin Newman, a 326. Melky Cabrera has been in and out of the lineup, but he's hitting above a 300. Jose Ozuna, a 340. Kyle Moran, a 295. Adam Frazier, a 283. Elias Diaz and Corey Dickerson between a 263 and a 270. Sterling Marte, 280 average, double digit amount of home runs, double digit amount of steals. Jung Kong is only hitting a 181, but ever since coming off the injured list, he's been doing a better job as well. Then you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals. They're averaging right around 3.4 runs per game ever since the beginning of the month of June. Things just have not been going well for them in general. Paul Goldschmidt is not quite the player that he has been in past years, hitting right around a 250 with 17 home runs. Paul DeYoung hitting a 255 with his 13 home runs. Matt Carpenter still hitting below a 220. Harrison Bader barely above 200 at this point. I will say Colton Wong and Dexter Feller have been picking things up in recent games. Both these guys hitting between a 250 and a 255. Matt Wieters is hitting a 240. Tyler O'Neill hitting a 270 is a little bit hit or miss. And then whenever they have Yario Munoz and Jose Martinez in the fold, they get a little bit better average. But I do think that the Pittsburgh Pirates are going to be able to get another quality start out of Mr. Agrazil that'll turn it over to the more trustworthy arms like your Felipe Vasquez's and your Francisco Lariano's to be able to close out the game. So I am looking at the Pittsburgh Pirates in this spot and I'm actually going to be taking a look at the over just because Jack Flaherty has been lending himself to so much hard contact and the Pittsburgh Pirates have been doing a very good job of being able to hit in general. So looking at the Pirates and the over, currently seeing money coming in on the exact opposite of both of those, so in wait and see mode on both of those plays. As we move on to 9-11, 9-12 on the betting rotation, it is the San Francisco Giants on the road facing off against the Colorado Rockies. Peter Lambert goes for the Rockies. Meanwhile, Drew Pomerantz for the Giants. Your total on this game is 14. The over is just anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 110. If you like the Giants, the plus price on this game is anywhere between plus 115 and plus 120. Want to lay it with the Colorado Rockies? That is minus 130 across the board. I know I've been talking about regression coming in for Peter Lambert, and we certainly have seen it, but we've also seen Drew Pomerantz just be a complete wreck on the road. 2-9 record so far this year, 642 ARA. I believe that his ERA is above 8 on the road. In 67 and a third innings, he's given up 17 home runs. That doesn't lend itself well to Coors. He's giving up more than 4.5 walks per 9 innings. Peter Lambert, meanwhile, he actually does a decent job of being able to control the walks. Now, he has been a human piñata when giving up home runs. He is giving up just below a home run every three innings, and he's got a 6.67 ERA, but he is also a hashtag pitcher that rakes, and I think that he might actually get a hit or two off of Drew Pomerantz himself. It's been that bad, and we do know that with the San Francisco Giants, they have gotten white hot with their bats. Going into game two of their double dip against the Colorado Rockies yesterday, they had scored, I believe, six-plus runs in seven out of their last 11 games, I would like to say. They've been doing a great job in that regard, and You've got Brandon Bell, Pablo Sandoval, Kevin Pillar, and Evan Longoria all picking it up with a bat. They now all have double-digit amount of home runs. 
Brandon Belt and Kevin Pillar both hitting between a 240 and a 250. Brandon Crawford selling at 226, but he looked very good in the first game of that double dip. Mike Yastrzemski selling at 230, but things seem to be improving there. Donovan Solano sitting above a 300. You have seen Austin Dickerson be able to give this team a little bit of a jolt. Pablo Sandoval sitting at 275. Austin Slater hitting very well in a limited amount of at-bats as well. And then with the Colorado Rockies, you certainly do have a fearsome trio in Charlie Blackman, Trevor Story, and Nolan Arenado. All three of these guys have between 20 and 21 home runs. In the case of Charlie Blackman, David Dahl, and Nolan Arenado, all these guys hitting a 305 or better as well. Daniel Murphy is hitting just below a 300 himself after a rough start to the year. You've got Ian Desmond in the lineup, but he's certainly worked on his batting average. Tony Walters is hitting nearly a 300. Remiel Tapia has his average up to a 270 as well. Garrett Hampson not doing much with the bat, but all in all, you do have a good Colorado Rockies lineup. But the big question is, how much are you going to be able to get out of the bullpens of these teams as well? The Colorado Rockies certainly has been spending theirs the past couple days, and the San Francisco Giants has been showing a couple weeks in theirs going back to their series against the Milwaukee Brewers. So for that reason, we are going to continue to ride the Coors Field overs, and I've already locked in the over at 14 on this game, and I'm looking at a Rockies run line here. I'm currently seeing it at plus 130. I'm certainly probably going to be taking this one. I'm just trying to see if I'm able to get any more juice on it, but certainly going to be likely taking plus 130, just trying to see if I can get a little bit better because I am greedy. 9-13, 9-14 on the bank rotation. The New York Yankees play also the Tampa Bay Rays. CC Sabathia will go for the New York Yankees. Meanwhile, the Tampa Bay Rays to be announced on their starter, which is why this game is currently off the board. And with the Tampa Bay Rays, I've seen no indication as to who they're going to have as a starter, if they're going to take a wholesale approach or anything like that. I did think that it was Yoni Chirinos's time in the rotation. If that's the case, I might be looking at the Tampa Bay Rays in this spot because he has had all but three of his starts go under the total, and he's been rock solid. Meanwhile, CC Sabathia, he's actually had a bit of success against the Tampa Bay Rays so far this year. Got his 250th win against them when Blake Snell wound up giving up six runs while recording only one out, but a 5-4 record, 4.03 ERA, and he certainly has been giving up the long ball. He's been giving up right around 1.9 home runs per nine innings. Last start was, ironically enough, on the road against the Tampa Bay Rays. Gave up three runs in seven innings there. And for that matter, in his last six starts, he's given up three runs or more in four of them. So that has not necessarily been rock solid. We do know this about the New York Yankees, though. Bullpen is tremendous. Guys like Adam Adovino. Tommy Canley, Zach Britton, all the names, Aroldis Chapman, they've been good in the Tampa Bay Rays. They've obviously got one of the best bullpens out there in the big leagues as well. And what the Tampa Bay Rays also have is not necessarily one guy that's going to go deep a whole lot, but a whole bunch of guys that do a good job hitting right around a 275 to a 280-ish and have between 13 and 16 home runs. You've certainly got Brandon Lowe in that mix. You've got Austin Meadows who's hitting a 292 with 13 home runs himself. Tommy Pham falls into that neighborhood. Yandy Diaz, Avicio Garcia, Kevin Kiermaier is hitting more of a 250 and doesn't have that pop. And then you've got a couple guys that are letting the team down with the back. Guillermo Heredia, Mike Zanino, Joey Wendell are all hitting a 225 or lower. But Travis no getting a leadoff home run yesterday was nice. Mark Broseo is hitting nearly a 400 ever since he's been up with the big league team. That's been a very good sign. And for the New York Yankees, you've got a bunch of guys that are doing a great job with the bat. Aaron Judge, Gio Urshela, and DJ LeMayu all have their batting average at a 300 or higher. And DJ LeMayu over 60 RBI. Luke Voigt is hitting nearly a 280 now with 17 home runs. Gary Sanchez has won deep 24 times, only hitting at a 240-ish along with Aaron Hicks. But Aaron Hicks has been 
upping his average. Brett Gardner has his average back above a 250 himself. Edwin Encarnacion only hitting a 217, but 25 home runs so far this year, and he still has an on-base right around 330, so he's certainly drawing his walks. He still have some injuries with the New York Yankees, but they've been doing a great job of being able to cobble up pieces, but early leans on this game is if you have Torinos, it's going to be a Tampa Bay Rays look. We know with the Tampa Bay Rays, going into Monday, they had won 48 out of their 55 games by two-plus runs, so might be an interesting look there, but as always, you're going to need to check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSquarty1, since quite honestly, we don't have a line on this game, and I have no idea who on earth is going to be starting for the Tampa Bay Rays. 9-15, 9-16 on the betting rotation. It is going to be the Boston Red Sox playing host to the Toronto Blue Jays. As we mentioned in the last segment, it is going to be Andrew Kasher making his debut for the Boston Red Sox. Meanwhile, for the Toronto Blue Jays, please, sweet mother of Mary, tell me I'm saying this name correctly. Jacob Waggy's pack. Total on this game is 11. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Boston Red Sox, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 180 and minus 185. Your plus price with the Toronto Blue Jays is anywhere between plus 160 and plus 170. And Waggy's pack has actually been very decent in the two times he's pitched for the Toronto Blue Jays so far this year. 1-0 record with that one win coming against the Boston Red Sox a couple weeks ago. I think that was one of Chris Sale's starts. He's went nine innings in his two, I guess you could call them long relief appearances, because he's had an opener coming in from in both of those games, and you want to note this with the game. This game might go off the board sometime during the afternoon on Tuesday, because typically the Blue Jays like to go with an opener for him, but with Waggy's pack, he's got a 5 ERA, getting 11 strikeouts per nine innings, but you take a look at his AAA numbers, they're not good. With Buffalo at the AAA level, 2-6 and six record, 530 ERA, 11 starts. He's won 52 in a third inning. So he's not giving you great length there. He's been lending himself to hard contact, 1.5 home runs per nine innings, and the command is out there. 4.3 walks per nine innings as well. 1.56 whip. This is not a guy I could stick my chips in the middle with, and we've been mentioning it with Andrew Kasher. If you bet $100 on him and every one of his starts so far this year, you are up over $1,200. Obviously, the plus prices are going to be drying up with him. No ifs, ands, or buts about it, but Andrew Kasher has been pretty terrific all year long. We went through it with Julian Edlow, just how good he's been. Giving up two earned runs or fewer at every start since the month of June. I will say the Boston Red Sox, they're starting to fall back to earth with regards to their bullpen. The bullpen just has not been doing good. Guys like Matt Barnes, Eth Embry, you've got Hector Velasquez and company. They certainly aren't getting the job done, but with the Toronto Blue Jays, they do have a couple bats out there that have been a little bit famine for this team so far this year. You do have a bunch of guys that have between 14 and 16 home runs. Lords Gurriel. Randall Gritchick, Justin Smoke, Freddie Galvis, and Rowdy Telez are all in that neighborhood. But other than Lords Guriel and Freddie Galvis, Galvis hitting a 266 and Lords Guriel a pretty impressive 293. All these guys are hitting a 240 or lower, so they're certainly not doing a great job of getting on base. Danny Jansen, Billy McKinney, Brandon Drury, all these guys hitting between a 220 and a 215. Eric Sogard at the top lineup is doing a nice job. He's hitting a 300, but Kevon Biggio is hitting a 226. Hey, Oscar Hernandez has not been doing the job all year long. And then with the Boston Red Sox, 
You've got a team that's white out with the bat. Michael Chavis now has 16 home runs. He's hitting above a 260. Andrew Benatendi is only hitting a 267, but he's actually one of the weak links other than Sandy Leone and Jackie Bradley Jr. because you've got Brock Holt hitting a 321. Xander Bogarts and JD Martinez both hitting between a 295 and a 305. In the case of Xander Bogarts, he has went deep 20 times so far this year. JD Martinez 19. Rafael Devers is white hot. 323 average. 17 home runs for him. Mookie Betts is now hitting a 280 as well. He's been able to pick things up. So I do think that this is a spot where the Boston Red Sox certainly are going to be able to get to the Toronto Blue Jays. I will say for the Blue Jays, even if Wagiz Pack gets a little bit dinged up, they have been looking better out there in the bullpen. Guys like Sam Gaviglio and company have certainly been doing a good job, and I do think that there's going to be a short leash on him. So for that reason, going to be looking at the Red Sox on the run line and the under. Currently looking at a Red Sox run line price of minus 110, so we'd like to be able to get a little bit of a more favorable number there. But with regards to the under, I've already locked in under 11 runs here. As we move on to 917-918 on the bag rotation, the Cleveland Indians play host the Detroit Tigers. Ryan Flippin' Carpenter goes to the Detroit Tigers. Oh, gosh. Meanwhile, for the Cleveland Indians, you've got Zach Plesak. This game is off the board because both these teams were undecided as to who would start in the evening time on Monday. And this is a spot where I'm going to be looking at the Cleveland Indians on the run line. Probably going to be looking at an over as well. We have noticed that Zach Plesak is starting to lend himself to a little bit of hard contact. But Ryan Carpenter is just so bad that he is just absolutely unbettable at this point. Now, the woes of Plesak are quite real. He's given up nearly two home runs per nine innings. In his last five starts, he's given up three runs or more in three of them. But the other two starts, he won seven innings, giving up one run against the Rangers. And ironically enough, against the Tigers, gave up just one run in seven innings as well. So there are some redeeming qualities there. And he does a good job of not walking a bunch of guys. And then when you take a look at Ryan Carpenter, I mean, I don't know what to tell you at this point. Guy has a 1-5 record, 8.36 ERA. He's backed up by a bad bullpen. And with the Detroit Tigers, you've got a team that's right now about as offensive as Ned Flanders. Brandon Dixon is right now their top home run hitter. He's hitting just below 250. He's went deep 12 times. Now, you got to like the fact that Miguel Cabrera has been doing a good job of being able to get on base. His batting average is just below a 300, but he's only provided five home runs so far this year. Nick Cassianos hitting a 282 is nice. Harold Castro is hitting above a 300 as well. Victor Reyes nearly a 270, but then you got Jaimir Candelario, Jordan Hicks, Jody Mercer, Gordon Beckham, Roddy Rodriguez, the list goes on and on. All these guys hitting below a 220. Christian Seward, Nico Goodrum hitting between a 235 and a 245, so not a lot to be had there. And with the Cleveland Indians, they've certainly been picking things up with the bat. You got like that Mike Freeman is back at the fold, and he's hitting right around a 280. Taylor Naquin hitting just below 280 himself. Jose Ramirez still leaving a little bit of something to be desired with his 225 average with Jordan Luplo hitting nearly a 250. He's got a little pop in the back. Carlos Santana, 21 home runs, 290 average for him. Francisco Lindor hitting nearly a 290 himself. He has been providing a little bit of boom with 14 home runs. Orlando Mercado hitting nearly a 280 as well. And then whenever you have Roberto Perez in the fold at the catcher spot, he's hitting above a 250. He's got right around 16 home runs as well. So you've got to like what you're trotting out there for the Cleveland Indians. And with the Indians, top bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. Meanwhile, the Detroit Tigers, a poopy one. So with that said, going to be looking at the Cleveland Indians on the run line. If you're seeing a harebrained total like a 12, I might be taking it under, but if you're seeing a total more in the realm of like a 9, 9.5, even a 10, probably going to be looking at the over, but as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSCORDY1 for set plays there. 919, 920 on the bank rotation. The Kansas City Royals play host the Chicago White Sox. 
Dylan Cease goes for the White Sox. Meanwhile, Glenn Sparkman for the Royals. Total in this game, 10.5 over and under, both at minus 110. If you're looking at the White Sox, laying anywhere between minus 16 and minus 115. Your plus price with the Royals, anywhere between plus 101 and plus 106. Cease has made one start so far. He was a very highly touted prospect out there at AAA, and his AAA numbers were pretty decent. He had a little bit of a walks issue against the Detroit Tigers, which... Obviously not a good team to be walking, but all in all, certainly a guy that has a little bit of upside. Meanwhile, with Glenn Sparkman, he does a better job of starting at home than he does on the road, but things have just been rough for him in general recently. In 64 and a third innings, he's given up 14 home runs, 2-5 and five record, 5-1 ERA. You just take a look at the way that the month of July and the month of June ended. It just is not good. He's given up 12 runs in his last two starts. He gave up five runs in the start before, and then he started in the middle of the month against the Minnesota Twins. In June, he gave up four runs in five innings there. Things just have not been going well for him in general. The White Sox seem to be in a little bit of a swoon with their bats, but you still have Jose Abreu, who's doing a very good job of being able to hit for this team. 21 home runs, hitting just below a 270, and he certainly has been providing the RBI with a 66. James McCann is hitting above a 300, along with Yohan Moncada and Yohan Moncada. 16 home runs himself, Eloy Jimenez, 244 average, 17 dingers for him. You've got a couple guys that are letting the team down with the bat, as Jose Rendon, Yonder Alonso, Wellington Castillo, A.J. Reed, Daniel Polka are all guys that are in a 225 or lower. Charlie Tilson only in a 241. But Yomer Sanchez hitting a 250 is actually a little bit of an improvement for him. John Jay, ever since he's gotten his chances with the big league club, he's hitting nearly a 300. And Lourdes Garcia hitting a 290 at the top of the lineup as well. And then you got the Kansas City Royals, and they certainly have their fame and bats as well. Cam Gallagher, Chris Owings, Martin Maldonado, Billy Hamilton. Ryan O'Hearn, Lucas Duda, all guys hitting a 225 or lower. Nicky Lopez not doing much better with a 235, but I will say, Chesler Cuthbert, Hunter Dozier, and Alex Gordon all doing the job. They're in between a 274 and a 284, and in the case of Dozier, he's got 13 home runs. He hasn't been providing as much power since coming off the injured list, but he certainly has been providing an average, and the man providing that power is Jorge Soler, 247 average, 25 dingers. Adelberto Mondesi leads the league in regards to stolen bases with 30, 270 average for him, and Whitmer Airfield hitting above a 300 at the top of the lineup. He's also got 14 swipes as well, but with the Kansas City Royals, I actually do like what I'm seeing out of their bullpen. Guys like Jake Diekman, Ian Kennedy, and company have actually been doing a decent job there, but I do like the White Sox as well. Evan Marshall, Aaron Bummer, Alex Colome, they're all very solid, so I do think that both these starters are going to have a little bit of a tough time, but I have a little bit more faith in the White Sox bats. I feel like they have a little bit of a better top-to-bottom lineup, and I do think that Cease is going to give a little bit of a better start than Sparkman. So for that reason, going to be going with the White Sox and the under here. Currently noticing that steam is coming in on the over and a little bit on the Royals as well. So I'm right now in wait and see mode on those plays. 921-922 on the bank rotation. The Seattle Mariners are on the road facing off against the Oakland A's. Daniel Magnin goes for the A's. Marco Gonzalez for the Seattle Mariners as your total on this game is 9.5. Over is just anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The under is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 105. If you're looking at the Oakland A's, going to be laying eight here. Anywhere between minus 164 and minus 175 plus price with the Mariners. Anywhere between plus 153 and plus 155. Marco Gonzalez has certainly been up and down, and I've been noting this with the Oakland A's. 
I believe that this is a team that entering into Monday had won 18 out of their last 24 games, so they certainly are a team that is white hot, and they've got a top seven batting average against lefties out there in the big leagues, and Marco Gonzalez certainly has had mixed results against the Oakland A's. I will say this also for Marco Gonzalez. He's giving up right around one home run per nine innings, so he has certainly been limiting the hard contact. Last time he faced off against a team that was ironically against the A's, he gave up just two runs in eight innings. The start before that against the A's, he wound up giving up one run in seven innings, but then let's take a look back at some of the starts that have not gone well for him, and that includes one against the LA Angels in which he gave up 10 runs in five innings. Things have just been all over the place for him as he has a 424 ERA despite a 10-7 and record. Meanwhile, Daniel Magnin, he's given up four home runs over the course of his last 10 innings, but his first 30 innings of the year did not give up a single dinger. Now the 16 walks and 40 innings, a little bit of an issue, but he is 4-1, 473 ERA. Has not been giving tremendous length. I don't think he's went to the sixth inning in any of his starts. And you take a look at his last four starts. He's given up three runs or fewer in two of them. And then in two of those starts, he wound up giving up five or six runs in two of them. So it's one of those things where it's been a little bit hit or miss. But I like what I'm seeing out of the Oakland A's bullpen. Guys like Blake Tryon, Luke Trevino, Yasmero Petit and company. They're all firing all cylinders. And with the Seattle Mariners, well, the bullpen certainly has not been good to say the least. But with the Seattle Mariners, you certainly do have a couple guys that are still able to mash, including that man, Domingo Santana. 19 home runs for him, 64 RBI. He is hitting in the realm of a 285. Omar Navarez is hitting 290. He and Thomas Murphy combined for the third most home runs at the catcher spot in the big leagues. Now you've got a couple guys that are really letting the team down with regards to batting average. Dylan Moore, Mac Williamson. Tim Beckham and Kyle Seeger all hitting a 230 or lower. I will say Austin Nola, not to be confused with Aaron Nola, ever since getting called up to the big leagues, hitting above a 300. He's been doing a good job there. Daniel Vogelback has a great on base percentage. He is hitting right around a 240, but the on base percentage, a 375. He's got 21 home runs. D Gordon, some of the best legs out there in the big leagues, along with Malik Smith. D. Gordon hitting right around a 265, and Malik Smith only a 240, but does a decent job of being able to get on base. And then with the Oakland A's, you've got a bunch of guys that are doing a great job of being able to just supply some general power for this team, as it is all let off by Marcus Simeon and Matt Chapman. Chapman has went deep 21 times. He's got a 274 batting average. Marcus Simeon is hitting a 272. He has got 14 long balls himself. You got to like the way that Ramon Loreno has come on with the bat as well. He's hitting just below a 270. 18 home runs for him. You've got pretty much every catcher that they put in there being able to do some damage. Guys like Jeff Feigley, Herman and company, they've all been doing a good job. Robbie Grossman now hitting above a 260. Marcana hitting a 254. Now, I will say that Chris Davis has been laying the team down with the bat a little bit. He's only hitting a 235, but he has still been able to supply 16 home runs. Matt Olson is getting a home run every, I would say, 13 or so at bats. 19 dingers for him. He's hitting a 254 as well. And this is just a spot where I do think that the Oakland A's are going to be able to get to Marco Gonzalez. I think that they're going to be able to figure him out. And I think that they're going to be able to get a convincing win. And I do think that Daniel Magnin is going to come in, going to give a good start, and he's going to turn it over to a bullpen that has been pretty solid. So for that reason, going to be going with the A's on the run line and the under. I'm currently seeing an A's run line price of plus 110, so I'm going to be locking that one in just in wait and see mode on this under. Try to see if I can get a little bit of a better number there. As we move on to 923-924 on the bang rotation, it is the LA Angels, and they are going to be at home facing off against the Houston Astros. It's going to be Andrew Heaney going for the Angels and for the Houston Astros. Currently on the betting board, you read to be announced, which means that this game is currently off the board. 
Currently, we have no indication whatsoever as to what the Houston Astros are going to be doing with that. It could be someone that's coming off the injured list. It could be the fan out of Section 307, Row A. We have no idea. But what I do know is that Andrew Heaney has been giving up quite a few deep balls, more than two home runs per nine innings, and he's just had a couple inconsistent starts. Over the course of his last six starts, He's given up five runs in three of them, and he's given up either one or two runs in the other three. So it's one of those yo-yo things with Andrew Heaney. Meanwhile, with the Houston Astros, they really look to be getting into form with their bats. Michael Brantley has been doing it all year long. He's hitting just below a 325, and Alex Bregman, he's got 24 home runs. His batting average, just below a 270, but Jose Altuve and George Springer, ever since being a little bit rusty coming off the injured list, are doing a much better job now. Jordan Alvarez is hitting a home run every 10 at-bats, and he's hitting above a 340. Yuri Gurriel has gotten white hot, 280 average, 16 home runs, but recently, man, he has been on fire. You've got Josh Reddick hitting a 293, but then got a couple guys that are struggling out there. Tyler White, Robinson Torinos, Tony Kemp, Max Sassy, all these guys hitting a 231 or lower, but Miles Straw is hitting a 280 himself. And then when you take a look at the LA Angels, they've been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Mike Trout, so you do want to note that before you fire in on this game. But even without Mike Trout, you still do have some good guys in the lineup in Kevin Smith, Daniel Fletcher, and Dalton Simmons, and Choi Otani. All these guys hitting between a 290 and a 300. And in the case of Otani, he's getting a home run every, I would say, 14 to 15 at bats. Justin Upton has been doing a nice job since coming off the injured list with his 255 average. Albert Pujols and Cole Calhoun both hitting between a 234 and a 240, but Cole Calhoun 21 home runs. Albert Pujols 14 dingers himself, and then you got Luis Rangipo who has gotten his average up to a 270 as well. With the LA Angels, they don't necessarily have the best bullpen pitching, but it has looked better recently. Maybe it's just because the Angels are playing inspired baseball or something like that, but they certainly have been turning it on. And with the Houston Astros, they've had one of the better bullpens all year long, but they certainly are showing some jinx in the armor, and they have been getting used up quite a bit as well. So right now, my early lanes are probably going to be to the Houston Astros, and the total is really going to have to depend on the starting pitchers. So as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSCordy1 for set plays there since this one is a little bit tough to call. 925-926 on the batting rotation. It is the Baltimore Orioles, and they're playing host to the Washington Nationals. Austin Voth goes for the Nationals. Meanwhile, Asher Wojcicki goes for the Baltimore Orioles. Your total on this game is 11. The over is just a minus 115. The under is minus 105. If you're looking at the Baltimore Orioles, you're getting a plus price once again. Anywhere between plus 170 and plus 175. The Washington Nationals laying anywhere between minus 190 and minus 195. And Wojcicki certainly has been getting a little bit roughed up. And Austin Voth, not necessarily the guy that you want to stick your chips in the middle with, but in the couple starts that Voth has gotten, he's not necessarily been terrible. He's gotten three starts, 5-5-2 ERA. In nearly 15 innings, he's given up two home runs, five walks. Peripheral numbers aren't necessarily too bad. Meanwhile, Wojciechinski, 0-2 record in his two starts, 6-10 ERA. He has been giving up right around four and a half walks per nine innings himself. And with the Washington Nationals, this is a team that is really starting to mash. You've got Juan Soto and Anthony Rendon, both with on-base percentages above a 390. In the case of Rendon, he has went deep 20 times. He's got over 60 RBI and a batting average above 300. Trey Turner and Adam Eaton at the top lineup, both hitting a 280. Kurt Suzuki hitting more in the neighborhood of a 260 to a 265. Victor Robles now hitting a 250. 
Got a couple guys that need to pick it up with their batting average. Matt Adams, Brian Dozier, Michael A. Taylor, Gerardo Parra, all these guys hitting between a 200 and a 230, so leaving something desired. But Howie Kendrick getting back in the fold is going to be big. He's hitting at 333, and he's been doing a good job with the double-digit amount of home runs himself. And then you take a look at the Baltimore Orioles bullpen. To say that it's not good, we'd be putting it politely. They've got an ERA as a collective near six. I will say this, though. Hanser Alberto has been doing a very good job of getting on base for the offense. He's hitting a 303. You've got Renato Nunez, 244 average, 21 home runs, over 50 RBI. Trey Boomo Mancini certainly has not been the same player recently that he was at the beginning of the year, but he's still hitting above a 280. He's got 17 home runs. Anthony Santander hitting a 275. Jonathan Villar, a 262. Pedro Severino, a 270, though the power seems to be sinking from him a little bit. And then you've got a couple guys that really need to pick it up with their bat as well. Chris Davis, Keon Broxton, Richie Martin, C.V. Wilkerson, all guys hitting at 225 or lower, but Chance Sisko hitting at 265 has been a nice find. But with that said, I do think that the Washington Nationals and their improved offense certainly going to be able to hit the Baltimore Orioles all over the ballpark. So for that reason, going to be looking at this total over and the Washington Nationals on the run line, currently seeing a Nats run line price of a minus 125. Like to lay a little bit less juice there and would like to be able to get a little bit less juice on this over as well. As we move on to 927-928 on the bank rotation, the Texas Rangers play also the Arizona Diamondbacks. Alex Young goes for the D-backs. Meanwhile, Lance Lynn toes the rubber for the Texas Rangers. Your total on this game has shrunk all the way to 10. Under has anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115 Juicy overs anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Diamondbacks, going to be getting a plus price here between plus 140 and plus 148. If you'd like to lay it with the Texas Rangers, that is anywhere between minus 153 and minus 158. We are seeing some steam coming in on the Arizona Diamondbacks, and rightly so. The Texas Rangers have the second lowest batting averages here against left-handed pitchers, and Alex Young. In his 13 and a third innings, he's got a 0.68 ERA. He's actually been very, very good. Been a nice surprise. And Lance Lynn, in his own right, has been terrific. In 122 innings, he's given up 10 home runs, 12 and 4 record, 369 ERA. And a lot of his bad starts honestly came towards the beginning of the year because you take a look at him ever since May 10th, he's had one start in which he's given up three or more runs. And that is playing out there in Arlington in Globe Life Park. So that has been really impressive. But I will also say this for the Arizona Diamondbacks. One of the best teams in the major leagues with regards to hitting home runs on the road, which is surprising because they're a bottom five team in the major leagues in regards to hitting home runs when they're at home. So not quite sure how that works. But you do have a couple guys in Cattell Marte and Eduardo Escobar getting the job done. Combined 40 home runs between these two. Marte hitting a 310 and Eduardo Escobar 291 batting average. Christian Walker and Adam Jones both hitting between a 255 and a 261. And in the case of Christian Walker, 18 home runs for him. Tim LeCastro is hitting a 251 whenever he's out there. Gerard Dyson, one of the best base dealers out there in the big leagues. Carson Kelly has been hitting a 270 himself. He's providing a little bit of pop. Jake Lamb has his average back above the Mendoza line. He's been working his way off of being on the injured list, so that's been helping Nick Amada hitting a 270 as well. And then with the Texas Rangers, you've got a couple guys that are doing a very good job with their average, and then you've got a couple guys not so much. Noah Mazzara. 261 average, leads the team with 51 RBI and 12 home runs. Joey Gallo 
has been Joey Gallo so far this year. 265 average. He has went deep 21 times. His batting average is hovering right around at 265. Then you got Sin Chu who is certainly getting hot with the bat. 291 average for him. He has been hitting a bunch of home runs recently as well. Danny Santana hitting a 309. Alvisandris a 300. Willie Calhoun a 277. Delano DeShields Jr. even is hitting for some average. 260 there. But then you've got Ezrubel Cabrera, Ronald Gubzavon, Tim Fedorowicz, Jeff Mathis, and Rudnett Odor all in a 221 or lower. I will say that Odor seems to have things trending in the right direction, but still a little bit untrustworthy. And I will say for the Texas Rangers, the bullpen with guys like Brett Martin, Jose LeClerc, and guys like that have been performing a lot better. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, it's still a little bit sketchy with guys like Greg Holland, Matt Andres, but I do think that Young is going to be able to deliver a very good start here for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and I do think that they're going to be able to get the win in this spot. I know that the Texas Rangers are the most profitable team out there in the big leagues with regards to home record, but the Arizona Diamondbacks won the best teams on the road as well. So, taking the lowest price of the Arizona Diamondbacks and the under, and I've already locked in both of these plays as we move on to the final game on the betting rotation, 929-930. The New York Mets hit the road to face off against the Minnesota Twins. Michael Pineda, a.k.a. Michael Pineda, goes for the Minnesota Twins. Meanwhile, Steven Matz on the bump for the New York Mets. This game was on the board before. I'm thinking that someone got scratched. I'm not sure who, but for that reason, this game is presently off the board. I believe it's because Zach Wheeler was supposed to start for the New York Mets. And this is a spot where I do certainly have to lean towards the Minnesota Twins. Michael Pineda has been actually much better ever since he came off the injured list. This is a gentleman that for the year is giving up way too much hard contact, giving up right around 1.6 home runs per nine inning, 6-4 record, 4.56 ERA. But you take a look at what he's done ever since coming off the injured list. He's really had one start in which he's given up more than three earned runs. So he has been good ever since the month of June began. Before that, things had been a little bit herky-jerky with them. And then when you take a look at the New York Mets, for one, the bullpen is just an atrocity. It is so bad that it's not even funny. It has looked a little bit better in recent days, but it's still not something that you can put your chips in the middle with. And you take a look at Steven Matz in general. This is a guy that has certainly had his ups and his downs so far this year. 5-6 and six record, 489 ERA. We all remember that blow-up start that he had against the Philadelphia Phillies in which he gave up 8 runs. And for the year, is giving up 2 home runs per 9 innings. He actually wound up going to the bullpen for his last two appearances. And you take a look at the last four starts for him. The team lost all four of them. He just has not been having too much success in general. Because you take a look at the string of his last four starts. He wound up giving up three runs or more in three of them. The other start was a start in which he went two innings and gave up two runs. So certainly things were unsightly there. And I will say for the Minnesota Twins, they're doing a great job of being able to supply some power so far this year. They're on pace for perhaps the most home runs in the history of baseball for a team. And it's all let off by Max Kepler. 263 average, 23 home runs for him. He has been just absolutely slaying whenever he goes up against the Cleveland Indians, by the way. Nelson Cruz has been a great addition to the team as well. He's hitting a 275. He has supplied 17 long balls. Eddie Rosario has went deep 20 times. He's got a batting average above a 280. Luis Arias, ever since getting called up to the big leagues, 444 on base, 385 batting average. Mitch Garver is hitting a 280. 
You've got Byron Buxton, Marwan Gonzalez, Jonathan Scope, and Jason Castro all in between a 254 and a 260 themselves. So they're getting on base. I hear Adrianza whenever they need him. He's hitting a 282. You just got a glut of guys that are able to do a good job with the bat. And with the New York Mets, you certainly do have a couple guys that are providing for the team with their bat as well. You've got Pete Alonso hitting above a 270, 30 home runs for him. Jeff McNeil hitting nearly a 350 at the top of the lineup. Michael Comforto is only hitting a 241, but he has been supplying the power with 17 home runs. Wilson Ramos, whenever he's out there in the fold, he's hitting a 272. The Todd Father, Todd Frazier, and Robinson Gano, both hitting a 251, and Todd Frazier, double digit amount of home runs for him. Got a couple guys that are not doing so good with the bat. Juan Lagares is hitting below the Mendoza line. Denny Hechevarria is hitting a 235. Luis Guillermo is hitting below 200 as well. But Dominic Smith hitting a 295 has been nice. But it's one of those things where I have no faith in the Mets bullpen. The Minnesota Twins with guys like Mike Morin and company have actually been doing a good job out there in the pen as well. So early leans on this game. Minnesota Twins and the over. But as well, you check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRNRSQUARTY1, which is also where you can ask a question if you have it for this fine podcast, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. A big thanks to Julian Edlow of DraftKings for joining me in the second segment. And let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.